vital in Carter's mind to place the office in the heart of Silicon Valley. He wanted to tap into projects that were already in the works at startups and companies that didn't do business with the government and adapt them to national security missions. The budgetary advantages were straightforward. The Defense Department wouldn't have to pay for R&D because the companies would already have incurred the costs, and DIACs wouldn't pay procurement costs. Those would be paid by the military service that agreed to put the product in the field. But in its first year, despite support from the top, the program seemed doomed. Carter didn't fully appreciate that such an unconventional program had to be run in an unconventional way. He named as DIACs director George Dushak, who'd been a DARPA program manager, director of the Air Force Research Laboratory's Information Directorate in Rome, New York, and a high-tech entrepreneur. But on the organizational chart, Dushak reported to the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics. Carter had held that post before his ascension to secretary, but it was now occupied by Frank Kendall, an engineer who had worked for big defense contractors. Kendall didn't share Carter's enthusiasm for the whole idea of DIACs and shuffled its oversight to an acting assistant secretary of defense for research and engineering who didn't know what to do with it and wouldn't have had the authority to do much if he did. Dushak was thus three layers away from Carter. Isaac Taylor saw the ensuing train wreck up close. Taylor had spent the previous 13 years at Google, designing and building its first self-driving cars. From there, he rose to operations director of Google X, where he started a number of projects involving robotics and augmented reality. Still, he was looking for a change, keen to work on meaty projects that mattered to the nation. Taylor began pitching products from within Google. He soon realized the program couldn't work, not as it was organized. From the sidelines, Taylor also witnessed how two of California's most creative companies came afoul of Dyax's processes. One, Shield AI in San Diego, had built a small autonomous indoor drone, which the program thought might appeal to the Special Operations Command, whose soldiers might want to know who was lurking inside a building or a cave. The other, Bromium, in Cupertino, had designed cybersecurity software that could isolate operating systems from untrusted users. Meetings were held. The interest was palpable. But nothing happened. In Silicon Valley's culture, meetings end either with a decision on whether a deal is possible, or often with the deal itself. In the Pentagon's culture, meetings lead to more meetings, which might lead to an R&D contract in 18 months, followed by testing, approval, then a renewed competition for a contract to build a prototype in another couple of years, then an assessment, followed by several more stages. No one in the Valley could put up with such delay. Among other things, the technology would have changed three times between the moments when the contract was signed and the hardware fielded. One of Secretary Carter's assistants called Taylor to ask what had gone wrong. Taylor replied that the people at Dyaks were talented, but the process doomed the idea. I told them the organization was failing slowly and that in Silicon Valley that's the worst way to fail, he recalls. The longer a firm keeps failing, the less inclined that people in the Valley will be to give it the time of day. Carter recruited two White House aides, Todd Park, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who'd rescued healthcare.gov, and D.J. Patil, another Valley insider who'd been persuaded by President Obama to bring big data into the executive branch, and asked them to fly to California, survey the situation at Dyax, and report back on how to fix it. 
Park and Patil soon had answers. First, they reported, the office needed to be able to close a deal by the end of a meeting or no more than a few days later. Second, because no one person had all the skills necessary to run something as complex as Dyak's, it should be run by a senior team of four or five people who together knew about management, venture capital, technology, and the internal workings of the Pentagon. Third, this team should have a direct line to Secretary Carter himself, in part to exude authority, and in part to get approval quickly. Finally, Park and Patil assured Carter, failure was okay in the Valley. The important thing, it's a local motto, was to fail fast. In other words, Carter needed to shut down Dyaks and reboot with as much fanfare and as clear a sign of commitment as possible. If he proclaimed failure forthrightly, he'd even be respected. The executives who looked and turned away might give the program a second chance. On May 11th,